Hi everyone and welcome to episode 5 of Social Work Leaders. This episode is with the lovely Vicky. Vicky is a social worker and she's also the founder of Social Work Sorted, which is a wonderful platform and space which supports NQSWs and prepares them for practice. We speak about Vicky's social work journey, her experiences and views on how theory and policy translates into social work practice. We also talk about Social Work Sorted, Vicky's motivations and where she sees Social Work Sorted going. It was a great conversation. Honestly, I could have spoken to Vicky for a lot longer, so I hope you enjoy it too. Hi Vicky, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good too. Thank you very much for joining me here. I knew it would happen sooner rather than later. (laughs) I know, thanks for having me on. We got there in the end. We did, we did. I'm really looking forward to this discussion. You know, I've wanted to catch up with you for some time just to kind of talk a bit more about your social work journey, some of the things that you're doing online and offline and just get to know you a bit more because like I said, I do follow you on social media. I love what you're doing with your page and your presence. So yeah, I'm looking forward to catching up and finding out more. Oh, me too. It's strange because although I've not been doing my podcast for long, you do get used to just asking the questions and listening. So it's a bit different answering them. So if I waffle, you'll just have to edit it out. (laughs) (laughs) No worries at all. So I thought it'd be helpful to start, Vicky, in, you know, for me to try and get to know you a bit more. So I'm quite interested to know about you, who you are and a bit about your own social work journey. Yeah, so I'm Vicky. So apart from running Social Work Sorted, I am a mum. I love my family. I love spending time outside, going for walks. Social work's a big part of my life, but then the other parts of my life will always be more important. And I think that's a a good thing. I am white, racialised as white. I'm from an Irish immigrant family my parents are Irish immigrants I'm the first person in my family to go to university I live in the north of England and I am in my 30s and I suppose those things I I talk about because they're parts of my identity really that that make it up and I know I'm very conscious of being on social media and not sharing those pieces of information that are really important and a lot of those identity markers you might get from seeing somebody and seeing what they look like but Mm. yeah that's a very social work way to introduce myself but I think those things are important and they're probably not things that I generally share in regards to the the different content that I do but obviously being a social worker is a big part of my identity as well so yeah I have always worked in in child protection and started social work sorted probably a year and a half ago now so doing both things at the same time and did you always know that you wanted to work in child protection Vicky? No so I, I always wanted to work with adults so before I did my social work degree I did a degree in drama and theatre arts so and I know you had Jo on a few weeks yeah. ago and she's really funny she <laughs> says that you know the classic range of social work because she did dance but yes. actually I'm really interested in the way that the creative arts link and connect with social work so prior to doing that degree I'd always 
volunteered and really enjoyed volunteering in different helping roles, probably more so with adults, elderly adults. And then did my degree, sort of moved into my final year doing or focusing more in community theatre and community arts. And then when I graduated, I got a job with a community theatre company that worked with adults affected by homelessness. So we were based in a hostel and community centre and it was amazing. Loved it. It was such a good job. And yeah, I think it grounded a lot of social work skills for me. So being around people, using different ways to connect and communicate, seeing how helpful it was for people to interact in different ways but also being really flexible. So turning up to some sessions and being able to understand that the dynamic in the room wasn't going to fit what we had planned for that particular day. Turning up to some sessions and thinking, actually, we need to meet someone's basic needs before we even start trying to do any sort of direct work or any theatre work. Mm. And yeah, seeing how much people grew in confidence as well from being in a room together and having a different focus than what was on the outside and using play and imagination and, you know, all the different parts of of drama and theatre really to kind of communicate. So, yeah, I loved that job and that was with adults. And alongside that, I also worked as a support worker with adults with profound multiple physical disabilities, learning disabilities and life limiting illnesses. That was in a residential unit. And again, loved that job. And it was such a privileged job. I think people who work in caring professions, particularly in support work, doing that sort of one-to-one work every day are so undervalued. Yeah. But actually that work is is so important and it gives such a different perspective on care and what care should look like when you have been in the position where you're responsible to for helping somebody with everything from the minute that they wake up from giving medication from moving from helping them wash and clean and brush their teeth and eat and drink and yeah that was it was a it was a privileged position to be in it was a really good organization that I worked mm. in the, the quality of care that we were expected to deliver was high as it should be but I know that it's different in different organizations and the training for that was really good as well because although nothing can ever compare to being in that situation the training was very practical so you were in a wheelchair sometimes blindfolded sometimes with you know earphones in being pushed around on different sort of surfaces you were had a blindfold on and someone was brushing your teeth and feeding you and giving you something to drink and although like I said none of that will will ever compare and can't compare to what someone's lived experience is it gave that very very tiny snippet and insight into how something would feel Mm -hmm. and again which has always stuck with me through social work of trying as much as you possibly can to think about how someone might feel in a certain situation and it was that job really that then led me into social work because I I worked there for a while I didn't see myself as staying within that organization and progressing that way and I thought okay well social work might be the next step to working staying in that kind of profession but maybe being able to do a little bit more and again <laughs> focused on adults so I applied and got onto a master's in social work and luckily fortunately it was at the time when 
they were still doing bursaries for social work masters which is why I was able to get onto it so I did it was a two years masters and there were two placements the first placement was with adults with addictions so it was the it was a voluntary sector organization that was commissioned by the council's services that they ran so the council ran sort of a higher level service for people with issues with substances or with addiction and the organization I ran was was a a lower level or lower tier I suppose so it's very much focused on motivational interviewing and Mm one-to-one and it was also functioned as a little bit of a community hub as well so a lot of groups ran from that place and it became somewhere that people could access if they wanted to which again was a it was a great placement I had really good practice educator I had really lovely colleagues and staff on there and I was able to go through training motivational interviewing and often at times didn't feel like because I wasn't but I didn't feel particularly qualified to do some of the things or have mm. some of the conversations I was having and then yeah and then my final placement was in a frontline child protection team so we were doing duty and assessment to the point of child protection and I just really enjoyed it I liked the pace I liked that I could work with children and adults because yes. I think working in children's services you are working with adults as well I enjoyed working with families as a whole. I enjoyed working with the different parts of legislation and it felt sort of quite clear to me at times. And yeah, so when I qualified, I was applying for jobs then in child protection because I think I just, I was interested and there was so much to learn and there was so much scope. So yeah, and since then stayed in child protection, did my ASYA worked in a few different local authorities some in in and around London and then further up north and again in frontline teams so then it began ranging from duty assessment child in need child protection and then initial care proceedings working with some children post-care proceedings which we'd say looked after children but I think the terminal terminology of looked after would be questioned probably by a lot of those children but yeah so always in in that field and then more recently moved into a bit of a different role in safeguarding but still within child protection. Wow it's so interesting to hear about that journey and I guess so many aspects that I'm intrigued by but particularly your experience working in a residential care home ultimately and the training around that and the idea of it just made me reminded me we talk about empathy and and putting yourself in someone's shoes but actually how you described it was I mean you can't well exactly you can never really understand someone's lived experiences but what a way to try and do that and really understand actually a snippet of how that person must feel every day when they wake up to have their needs to have to have their needs met by someone else yeah I wonder whether we should be doing more of that actually even within children's services as well yeah I think for me the way it can translate into children's services is the direct work that we do with Mm -hmm. children and when I'm running training what I'd always say to people is please don't think that you can go into someone's home or go into school and do a piece of direct work if you haven't experienced that yourself if you've never sat down and done your own genogram 
how can you go into somebody's home and ask them to do a genogram if you don't know how that feels because it's really hard doing your own genogram because you have to look really hard at yourself at your family you have to unpick things that you maybe don't want to unpick you have to talk about people that you don't want to talk about you have to look at relationships that you might not want to look at so we often have or can have really high expectations of the people that we're working with without us having experienced those things ourselves and and the same for life story work that we cannot go and sit with a child or a young person or an adult and expect that within one session we're going to come out with this amazingly detailed piece of life story work that's a process and again as a social worker if you haven't done that if you haven't tried that how do you know how it feels how invasive that is and if you don't realize how invasive that is how are you going to be able to support someone through that piece of work so yeah that's how I feel that experience translates into social work and obviously again we never unless and some social workers will have been through having their own social workers and having their own experience and that's why people with experience going into social work professions is so important I haven't ever had that experience I haven't ever had a social worker I've had different life experiences we all bring that to social work but I think as much as we can do we should be trying to look at the interventions that we're using and use them on ourselves and how they might feel and we probably all have partners who say stop social working me Absolutely. which mind us all the time but actually isn't that an insight into the way that we ask questions and the tone of voice that we use and if they and my husband's got absolutely nothing to do with social work but if he picks up on the way that my tone changes when maybe I want to ask him something or talk about something that's sensitive then that's how other people might feel and it's Definitely. important to pick up and understand those things that we do and I always think if you're working with a child or a young person asking them to do an impression of you is always an amazing way to see the little things that you do that either they find really annoying or that actually don't work or maybe you're a little bit social worky if that's what you would say so yeah I think just understanding what or how your practice what that looks like to other people and being able to say do you know what I've done this and it was really hard is just some way in in connecting with that person even if there might be loads of differences to be able to say I, I understand that you know someone asked me that question once and I didn't know what to say yes it just starts to build that working relationship a little bit more I completely agree and whilst I'm never the biggest fan of of role play in in training I could feel like it's it can be so effective just in asking others or having questions asked to you that you would ask to somebody and you can't underestimate how intrusive especially when we're talking about children's services um, at the moment how intrusive some of the questions are that we ask families especially when it may be the first time we've gone in to see them so I think using role play or even asking some of those questions to yourself and imagining how you'd feel if someone was asking you that question who you don't know very well or you were potentially worried that they were going to judge you. Yeah, just asking those questions and how you feel about it, I think is so, so powerful, actually. Definitely. But Vicky, do you feel then that, of course, you, you did your master's, you had your social work training. Do you feel that that social work training prepared you for what you were going to find, work with when you came into child protection? That's my favourite question because yeah. I ask everyone that because I'm so interested in it. I think 
yes and no which is an annoying answer isn't it but I feel really fortunate with the training that I had I feel really fortunate with the different skills days that I had so we had different skills days on our placement that really tried to fill that gap for practice so even though they might have been individual days there are days that stick in my mind for example a day doing just communication skills and how to ask questions and a day doing life story work so those really practical things I feel really fortunate that I had that experience at university and I also was always interested in politics but Mm -hmm. actually having the political foundations and the, the knowledge and the history of social work that I had at university has has stayed with me and I think that's so important and I worry about the future of social work education because my goals with what I do with social work sorted which we can talk about later is about building those skills and shortening that gap between education and practice but it's as well as well as not instead of and I don't think anything can sort of replace those foundations in social work going back to but and you can go back as far as you can but in the UK going back to the poor law and the idea of the deserving and the undeserving and we need to understand the narrative of how social work has changed and how it's intertwined between the politics and the practice and I feel really fortunate that I had that foundation through my university education and I I don't know but I don't think that happens in lots of other routes and entry into the profession Mm -hmm. I think the skills are really important but I think we interact and interplay with the political so much that we have to have an understanding of where social work has always sat within that framework and then I was really fortunate on my placements that I had practice educators I had colleagues I had statutory placement experience that all supported me then when I was in ASYE and I had different life experience and different work experience as well so in that sense lots of things prepared me as much as possible in another sense there are some things that you can't always be prepared for because every family that you work with every person that you work with is has you know a different thing about them that you might not have come across before and then certainly I my placement was in the north of England in a predominantly white team in a predominantly white British area and when I did my SYE in London it wasn't a predominantly white team it wasn't a predominantly white British area it was really really diverse and that was lots of learning that I had to do as well and it was learning again I feel really fortunate about So, yeah, that's why it's yes and no. I think some things did. I think some things were specific to the education that I got and the place, you know, the, where I qualified and the placements that I had. And some things I learned as time went on, which I think some of that practice wisdom does happen as well. And that's the thing. It's so different for every social worker, depending on their life experience, their entry into the profession, the way that they've been educated on social work, the entry into the into qualification, really. Absolutely. And I think it's really positive when you do hear that, even though, like you said, it was yes and no, but actually that yes was still relatively strong in terms of the areas that it prepared you in. And I think similarly, 
I mean, I wasn't lucky enough to have a statutory placement. They were both voluntary organisations, but I always knew I wanted to work frontline. So, but, so in one sense, I was less prepared. However, when I did start my social work degree, I was part of like a social work academy, which I know they still have some around as well. So that I feel really supported me. But where I think sometimes the gap is, is around providing the current context to the theories we work with. If that makes sense and that's why Vicky I really like your page and what really draws me to your page because I feel that it provides the current context for some of the theories that we've learned some of the policies we're aware of and know about and the politics like you said that social work is, are, is part of and I do think sometimes we struggle to translate that and see where we fit within our, our roles as the social work is that why you started social work sorted what, what was your motivation I think my motivation was seeing I'd always been really interested in training so every job that I had I always joined whatever the training pool was or I was always interested in leading group supervisions when I was newly qualified I was then interested in doing practice education and working with students and providing that formally and informally so I'd always really enjoyed that part of the job and then I suppose I started to think a bit more clearly about what the gaps were. So the more newly qualified social workers I was coming into contact with, the more I was listening to what they were saying and trying to think about the patterns in what they were saying and maybe the things that were missed or the skills that they didn't have that they wanted. And then that sort of widened massively in the pandemic through no fault of anyone's. But when we moved into more the virtual world and the practical world and newly qualified social workers were firefighting, basically not having the same experience of, first of all, student placements, but then qualifying, not having the shadowing experience that maybe lots of others would have had pre-pandemic, not having the opportunity to go out and be face-to-face with people. And when it was face-to-face, it was only in emergency situations. So being able to try that direct work and have the time to do which is often as a student or nearly qualified if if when you do have a student you shouldn't have your own caseload but when you're nearly qualified if you've got a reduced caseload you do sometimes you'd hope have that time to do more in-depth pieces of work and getting to know people so I started to see that gap really and then as it it grew as it grew really the page and the advice I suppose I was doing as I was getting feedback I then made more of the content that people were finding helpful and what I found was the kind of nuances of social work the where do I sit on a home visit do I take my shoes off how do I ask this question how do I knock on somebody's door how do I actually introduce a piece of direct work all those practical skills I suppose newly qualified social workers responding really well to having them broken down into a step-by-step and theory I struggle with theory and it's like I said what I do with social work sorted is not instead of it's as well as and there are amazing people Siobhan McLean queen of theory I'm I'm not that I can't I'm not good with theory really I'm good with the practical and the pragmatic skills and 
when people contact me about theory I just say actually I can't that's not I can't do that (laughs) Uh, you know I can I can talk to you a little bit about it but that's not my area of expertise what I'm interested in is taking bigger ideas and breaking them down for the newly qualified social worker who is feeling overwhelmed who doesn't have time who wants to read the research but they feel like they're on a treadmill that they can't get off but maybe what they can do is flick on their phone read something within a minute and it will remind them that okay maybe I can go into this home visit and ask this question instead of reading off this tick box list or maybe I can just take a minute and breathe before I go and do this next task or maybe I can lead a meeting in a different way or ask a different question so yeah I suppose I'm interested in in the skills and in practical skills and how to translate them really for newly qualified social workers and it's had a good response and which is good because I know that I'm helping people but it also shows that that gap is is really big and sometimes the things that I out I think surely people know I think when I started I was kind of thinking oh surely people know this but actually not everyone does know that because everyone's had different experiences and entry into social work and yeah so it's it's still growing and I'm still learning and people give me lots of feedback which is helpful about the things that they want to be covered and I think it's also about bringing that education into different formats because because of social media which is both bad and good our attention spans Mm. changed the way we access information's changed the way we learn has changed and the time that we have and like I said we need to be reading the research we need to know the theory because if we don't have that what are we basing our profession on what is where is our professional judgment coming from it can't come out of thin air but that's and that's something I'm really interested in but that's not what I'm doing because other people are doing it better and will continue to do it better but what I'm interested in is the the skills for practice and making them more accessible for newly qualified social workers so that they can share then things with with the people that they work with as well. And also Vicky whilst I know that and I agree that your content is amazing for newly qualified social workers. I'd also say it's it's brilliant for more experienced workers and managers because I know for myself so many times things come up on your page and I will think, oh, I need to share that with my team. Or actually, have I had that conversation with my ASYE? Have, so for me, it's it's just brilliant because it for me, almost to some extent provide, provides me with daily reminders of things I should be talking to my team about or re- reminding my team about or speaking to my newly qualified social workers about. So it just, I think that it really provides brilliant content for all social workers and, and managers. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and I guess it, it's important for me to have a, a certain area to talk to and aim things at because I almost know I know that newly qualified social workers definitely need the information that I'm giving and I know that some social workers won't need it or won't want to access it so I suppose everything that I do is aimed at newly qualified social workers but definitely I've experienced social workers practice educators managers and then on the other side I have students who are coming up to their placements and ready to qualify so yeah I know that it kind of reaches out and helps people at all stages really which is which is good and I think there's a lot to be said for management or senior management 
going back to basics and understanding Absolutely. those skills that social workers need and maybe struggle with the most so yeah I'm glad that it's it's helpful for everyone it is it, it really I would say it really really is and I wondered what you would say to newly qualified social workers who are currently struggling with that transition into fully fledged social work if you want to call it that do you have any tips for them I think the first thing is probably to take some pressure off yourself Mm. because you're not expected to know it all even experienced social workers and managers or anyone isn't expected to know it all and there can be a lot of expectation I suppose and maybe that's expectation new qualified social workers put on themselves to be perfect and be able to know exactly what to say and how to say it lots of things come with time I would also just say to start practicing habits to look after yourself which is something that I talk about a lot and that's not in a really I never want that to be in a really sort of preachy way everyone needs to get up at six and have a smoothie and do yoga that's not realistic but it is realistic and it has to be realistic to be able to go for a walk in your lunch break if you can't go for a walk step outside of the office has to be realistic to just take a deep breath it takes 10 seconds but you'll feel but we forget to do it because we're really busy so it's not about saying right you've got to meditate every single day and that's the only way that you're going to deal with this stress but it's just about saying maybe you could just try that once a month if you know set realistic things because if you don't look after yourself it's not just the impact on your job because and I literally just saw something I don't know where I read it but it was about I think it was Rich Devine who was on Twitter put an article about self-care and how the narrative can be really dangerous that it's almost and someone wrote on it it's like when we say don't pour from an empty cup yeah it's almost saying but you need to have your cup full so you can fill other people's cup so actually it's not just looking after yourself so you can look after other people it's just looking after yourself so you can look after yourself so you're not going to have ongoing health issues you're not going to burn out so you can spend time with your family and your friends and do all the things that you enjoy and do outside of work so yeah I think cultivating those ideas and those habits early on are really important because it can get I think we pick up on the habits of our team members and our colleagues and especially as we move back into offices or some people move back into offices you might have a team that say right let's go and eat lunch you might have a colleague that will say right you've not drank any water all day here's a drink of water but you also might have a team where the attitude might be very different and it might be very busy and there might be no one going out for a walk and you might start to feel guilty if you're the only one who's eating your lunch away from the desk so yeah cultivating those habits I think is really important for newly qualified social workers because then whatever happens you you're still kind of prioritizing yourself absolutely and one thing I often say is or to my newly qualified social worker at the moment is working every hour available to you isn't a badge of honor and I think you know sometimes when we become social workers and depending like you said on the setting the team setting you're in late working unhealthy habits can be a bit of a badge of honor and often I I completely agree if you start 
cultivating good habits even when things become chaotic because they do at times even when things become really hectic and busy you will tend to default back to those good habits when things calm down a little bit so I completely agree I think the idea of just cultivating those from the start is so important yeah and then it's it's the job we do isn't it we work with people we work with people's lives it's unpredictable there are going to be nights when you working late there are going to be weekends that you have to write a court statement and that won't change with social work but I think like you say if you start something in a certain way you might deviate back to that so yeah you might have worked all weekend but maybe you build your confidence in saying I'm actually taking toil today and it's understanding that it's not the kind of job that you can tick a task off a list and it's done it's the kind of job that completing one task creates 10 other tasks so nothing that you and I think understand it probably sounds pessimistic but nothing that you do is going to lower your caseload or give you less work to do fitting 10 things in your diary isn't going to magically give you more time it's just going to mean you're late for every single meeting and you finish the day really stressed so it's almost that understanding understanding that you'll never get to the end of the to-do list and you'll never fit everything in which then means you just have to prioritize and that's a really difficult place for social workers to be because we want to help everyone and we want to do everything so it almost sounds quite pessimistic but I think the alternative to that is thinking that you've got to do everything and fit everything in and do everything in the short amount of time that you have and that leads to burnout so it's it's a really fine balance it's really difficult and I don't think there's there's one answer really no I completely agree I completely agree but I I really love some of those tips I've even written bits down here myself look after yourself so that you can look after yourself and actually yeah I I love that I really love that because I think it is so important it's not necessarily always to fulfill the need of somebody else sometimes a lot of the time it should be just to fulfill needs of your own as well so Vicky talk to me a little bit about the podcast so I started the podcast I think for lots of reasons the first is I'm really conscious that I don't show my face on social media and I think part of me wanted to prove that I wasn't some kind of weird robot (laughs) and humanize things a little bit because I think it's really difficult for people who follow me and who I might be chatting to people send me messages or requests for information or comment on my post and it's difficult I know that when you can't see what somebody looks like and so I thought well the next best thing is that maybe they can just listen to me Mm -hmm. and I because I really wanted to expand on some of it well yeah it started because I wanted to expand on some of the posts that I'd made that you just can't fit a lot of things into a post so I really wanted to do a bit of a series about home visits and I thought you know what this is actually just so much easier if I just say it so I thought okay I'll just start a podcast and my brother's got a podcast and he's really encouraging so he was like just do it because I was thinking will anyone listen but um yeah so started that and then I was like oh yeah I could do this and then I thought well actually it's just a really good excuse for me to be able to speak to people I'm really interested in and which is sort of strange because then I think why wouldn't I just do that anyway just say can I have a chat because I'm really interested (laughs) in your job I suppose it's twofold then because I can share it with people and then I actually think 
now I think back to it, it might have been um, Joe who you had on sent me a message just to say if you're having guests on then you know I'd love to come on and I thought oh yeah I could have guests on yeah so yeah and it's been I've really enjoyed it I think it's we're social workers aren't we so we just love to chat but it's been really interesting to hear about people's journey to social work and I know I learn a lot again there's good and bad to social media but I know I learn a lot from following different people and I'm really interested in what they do in their particular role in social work and I'm also interested in people who might have connections to social work but not necessarily be social workers so I had Grace from Dementia on that was so interesting I think as social workers we we can learn and we need to learn from people outside our profession as well because we're working with children with adults with families with different scenarios so we need to have that knowledge from other sectors and I like listening to podcasts I think they're a really accessible yes. way to get information so yeah some of the episodes are a bit more skills-based and expanding and again it's easier for me to talk than it is to write and make all the different things on Instagram so that's easier and people that sort of request different things to cover and then some of them have been interviews which are just really interesting so yeah. Oh brilliant and like you said I, I really enjoy listening to it because um, it's accessible and it's just that variety it's some of those practical skills but then it's also those really interesting conversations which I love listening to as well around um, people's experiences the work that they do their journeys into social work so I, I find all of that really really interesting and really enjoy it so I guess Vicky my question would be where do you see social work sorted going what what's the plan for social work sorted so a lot of it is just to keep doing what I'm doing um which is trying to I suppose I just want to get better at providing the content for newly qualified social workers that they find so helpful so continuing to break down those ideas and respond to what people need so people send me messages and say I'm struggling with this can you cover this so I enjoy doing that I enjoy thinking of different ways to help continuing the podcast and then moving into training and consultancy so I already run training online so I've been doing masterclasses in different social work skills which have had really good feedback and then um, moving really over the next few months into doing some in-person training which I'm really looking forward to so I I think again pre-pandemic that was something that I was doing through my job but doing it through social work sorted gives me a bit more freedom really to focus in on the things that I want to focus in at so some of that is with students some of it's with newly qualified social workers so hopefully that will just I suppose it gives me the opportunity to train in person again because I think being in person you have that different type of connection but be able to expand on what I do and offer you know longer training sessions to enhance people's skills and being with people while they're developing their skills so doing things around direct work and communication skills and dreaded role play that everyone hates and I love so (laughs) oh do you (laughs) yeah well it's the drama degree isn't it yes but I do no I do I it people roll their eyes at it but I think how else do you practice how else do you know what to do and it yeah it feels really embarrassing when you're doing role play but 
what you're going to be like when you go into somebody's house you're going to be embarrassed then probably so actually if you practiced and had those conversations and felt that discomfort then you're going to know how uncomfortable it feels first of all for you to be going into somebody's home but most of all for that person in their home to be asked those questions so yeah a strong advocate for role playing social work and practicing all our skills I completely agree and I think it's one of those things like I said the idea of it makes me cringe and however it is the best every time I've done some form of role play is the best way that I've learned um how to do something how it's felt potentially to um to do something or to experience something so yeah I have a real love-hate relationship with it I would say (laughs) yeah I think a lot of social workers have that (laughs) so Vicky one question I always ask um coming towards the end of the podcast is around social work leadership and what social work leadership means to you and I ask this question because I am really passionate about social work leadership and for me the idea that social workers are and and can be leaders at any level of an organization and and even if they're not directly part of an organization Um, but I wondered what leadership in social work meant for you I think that's a hard question. I think for me, leadership was about letting go of the idea of a hierarchy in social work. And by that, I suppose, I mean, there can often be a perspective that the academic and the practical are quite distant from each other and that they don't interact or they can't interact and leadership for me meant that actually maybe they can interact and maybe it's okay to use social media to talk about social work ideas maybe it's okay that we start social work podcasts so that people can access ideas and theories and conversations about social work in different ways and maybe it's about being able to say things about social work that people don't feel comfortable saying I don't know if that really answers it but I suppose it's about making social work what we want it to be Mm -hmm. and it's a it's a difficult job to do we're in a really difficult climate in the UK at the moment but people still have to go out to work every day social workers still have to go out to work every day and do their jobs people continue to want to enter into the profession so we just have to be a bit relentless in how we try and make that work and understand that it's not by any means going to be perfect and there are so many problems in the system but whilst all those things are being managed and while people are advocating on that wider scale for me it's about leading people into work on a Monday morning and saying okay you might not be able to change this massive bit of policy but you might just be able to go into a visit and make it a bit more positive than it was last week and that's okay to be able to do that it's okay to focus on that one visit of that one week or that one month rather than be overwhelmed with trying to do everything Mm. so yeah I don't know if that answers the question but yeah (laughs) yeah no absolutely and I and I think some of the things you mentioned around social media and social work um 
to be honest, we could do a whole other episode on that because I'm so interested in that area, to be honest. But I completely agree, especially around the idea of, in a way, taking, taking note of those small successes rather than focusing only on the big successes. So, yeah, yeah, I love that. Thank you. I hope that answers it. <laughs> it does, it does. Thank you. And my final question, Vicky, is where can people find you if social workers want to find out more about you, some of your training that you offer, the podcast, where can they look? So the main place is Instagram. So I am at Social Work Sorted on Instagram. Um, oh, my microphone's falling off. Um, <laughs> I have a Facebook page, but I probably post more on Instagram, but Facebook, it's at Social Work Sorted. My website is socialworksorted.com. It's all quite easy to remember. Um, And most of the training that I offer, everything is on Instagram, really, and people can message me. I try to apply to people as much as possible. Um, You know, if there's anything that anyone's particularly interested in or if there's anything that people want me to cover on Instagram or on podcasts then you know just get in touch and you can either message me via the website or you can message me on Instagram and yeah I always try and get back to people and try and put out what what's helpful for you brilliant so thank you so much Vicky and I'm sure we'll catch up again soon oh thank you very much for having me on thank you bye Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it and got some good takeaways from it. As always, all of Vicky's information will be shared below. See you soon. Hi, Irene. How are you? I am well, thank you. Thank you for having me. No, good. Definitely. I'm glad we got here. I knew we would in the end. I know, I know, I know. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here. Well, I'm excited for us to have this conversation, really, because we're going to be talking about social work and business. And you're definitely someone who springs to mind when I think about social work and business. Um, and I know we connected on social media, I think it's about a year ago now. Yeah, um, yeah. And I've kind of been seeing some of the things that you've been doing. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about you and what you're doing today as well. So I always start, start Irene, by trying to understand a bit more about you. So okay. be good to know, you know, if you could tell us a bit about who you are and within that, your journey into social work. Okay, so my journey into social work was more or less um, prescriptive, if I'm being honest with you, because I come from a family of social workers. Um, my parents are social workers, both of them. My siblings are social workers. Um, you know, everyone, most people around me, family-wise, are social workers. So I was always destined, I think, to fall into the line of social work. Um, I was very, very against it because I went to university to study psychology, okay. and I thought when you finish a degree in psychology, you become a doctor immediately. Not knowing, very naively, that wasn't the case. And um, yeah, so I just thought, what am I going to do next? And Social work was very closely related to um, psychology. Yeah. So I, you know, just pursued it, really. But I didn't know how 
good I would be at it in the end, in terms of my career, how it would develop, um, what it would spiral into. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a long journey. Um, and obviously my career has developed over time. But mm. in terms of how I got into social work, it's definitely, I say, through family. Um, and just kind of steering me in that direction. But where I am now in social work is very different to where I was when I started. Mm. Um, in terms of my vision for social work and what it looks like for me. Yes. Um, but I'll get deeper into that later. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting yeah. that your journey into social work was through family and you hear that a lot in terms of people's experiences similar to me I've got social workers in my family my mum's a social worker so you hear that a lot don't you in terms of family kind of it's definitely a family thing I completely agree I completely agree so when you've started within your social work career what's that journey been like have you worked always worked within children have you okay. gone back and forth a bit? Um, prior to becoming qualified, um, I was working with uh, my parents who own, they're not some independents, they're supported livings for people with mental health. So I was always exposed to mental health for a good 10 years before I qualified. Okay. So it was always working with adults, working, men, working within mental health. But then I decided that I no longer want to um, work within mental health because I can't, not I'm tired of it, but I want something new. Mm. So when I qualified in social work, I was told that the worst part of social work to go into is children and mm. child protection, and that's where I went. <laughs> I decided to go into work in um, child protection, and everyone was like, no, go into education, go into disabilities, go into something that's more relaxed. And I thought, no, I want child protection. I don't get it, I'm not doing it. So I ended up in a yeah. child protection role um, when I first started, um, long, long-term team. I qualified in, I won't say the council's name, but in a council local to me. Yeah. Um, but even in my qualifying year, it, it was just so traumatic in terms of my experience mm. um, of my first year of social work. It built me to be who I am today, but I would say it was a quite a traumatic experience um, during my ASYE, which prompted where I am now. Interesting. That's interesting because I think we all know child protection, frontline social work is, I would Not say... Absolutely. It is. It's yeah. hard. It's hard. You learn a lot very quickly, but also it's not for the faint hearted. Um, and even those who I think even the most resilient, those who pride themselves on their resilience, that, that's an area that is a challenge for, um, for them. I wondered what you felt you gained from that experience, though, as a frontline social worker. As a frontline social worker or as an ASYE that experienced... A mixture of both, really, yeah. So, um, in terms of in terms of frontline social work, I felt it was very heavy mm. earlier on. And obviously, when you're first starting social work, you don't know what you're doing. You're still learning, and that's what I believe. That's when I believe the most important part of your learning process is the scaffolding around you, your management, who's supporting you, and. I felt that my experience and my injury to social work was quite traumatic because I had several changes of assessors, several changes of management. So I never really got my feet on the ground in terms of um, being guided or being shielded. I kind of felt like I was doing a DIY job. So I was left to experience a lot of, um, you know, make a lot of mistakes. Mm. Um, I was also left kind of, figure it out myself in a way and you know hang on to other people around seniors and 
advanced practitioners or at that time there wasn't APs, but you know what I mean. In terms yes. of senior social workers at that time, you could guide me, but in terms of management, there was no stability. So as I say, child protection is quite can be quite dangerous. My analytical skills then were quite weak. Of course, yeah. So imagine, you know, the 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 anxiety that came with doing that job. So I don't I don't feel I had a real honest entry into mm. CP and social work. So my view will always somewhat be warped. Yes, yes. Because I know that I didn't experience it in the right way. Because people who are shielded and people who are kind of supported in their ASY in the beginning um, may have a better experience because you have somebody kind of holding your hand and guiding, guiding you and being there to support. So it would be quite a warped view if I was to share my view of what social work was like yeah. When I first started, or what CP was like when I first started. And then, did you remain in children's services, or did you start? I had a sense of fortune. <laughs> I never left. Yes. Because you know, over time, I did become resilient. I did become better mm. at my job. I did find ways of working. I, I became quite um, fixated on making tools, um, tools for practice, tools for learning. Um, I became very close with the ASYE manager, who. Um, more or less fought my corner in my ASY, but then we became very, very close in the sense that she wanted me to support other ASYs, and I wasn't even an assessor at that point I, because of it was more about um, what I had um, experienced and wanting to kind of share that knowledge. So, yeah, I hope I've answered the question. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think one thing you mentioned around resilience is key. And I think sometimes it feels res- um, cliche when we speak about social work, we talk about yeah. resilience, but... It is definitely the case. And I think for me, similarly, resilience is one thing that I gained um, in frontline social work and the ability to be robust because every single day you're rolling with resistance, you're dealing with competing priorities. And it is is it can be rewarding, but also it's it's tough. And I think we underestimate just the ability of for social workers to get up every day, open up their laptops and come to work every day um, in itself is amazing. So whilst I'm, I'm definitely hearing the, the challenges, there's no doubt about that. The resilience that you develop is just second to none. Yeah, you, you do develop resilience. You have to, for you to survive in, social work is not an easy job. You're dealing with people that never, not never, but most times won't say thank you. Mm. And resilience mm. is what keeps you going back what every keeps you going. day. That is so, so true. Something that you have to build regardless. You have to build resilience and something that I kind of developed over time absolutely so what about now for you Irene what are your current roles and including the businesses that you run so in terms of um why I'm even associated with social work and businesses because I've come from that whilst I've come from a family of social workers I've also come from a family of business orientated people and and one thing that I've learned around me based on the services that are provided within the family um, it, it, it's always about, it's not really about the money, but it's about the service you're giving, what you're giving back. And if that comes with, you know, um, financial gain, then it comes with financial gain, but that's not the focus. I think that's where you end up doing the best and doing well and providing outcomes. So in terms of me at the moment, um, there's just several hats I wear. I'm a, I'm a PE. Um, I've been a PE, I don't even know, for some time, but I, in terms of students, i Either if I'm working for a local authority, um, if I'm working for a local authority, obviously I'd have a didn't allocate it to me. If I don't work for a local authority, 
I already have relationships with universities um, because they trust my work in terms of, um, uh, you know, what I'd share with their students or how I'd support their students through their placements. Um, form F assessments is something that I've always done in terms of, um, you know, assessing foster carers to see whether they're fit to do the job um, and providing support to foster carers, you know, just as the assessment is completed and then they're passed on. Yes. Um, that's also been part of social work business as such in terms of generating revenue because some people do do it full time. Mm-hmm. I just can't mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, there's um, a platform that I've had for a while actually um, with others, Social Work Bridges. Social Work Bridges is, um, at first, if I'm being honest with you, it was just a blog that I had right. um, ranting and sharing my views as an ASYE who was without support. That was... Maybe 2012, 2011, yeah, wow. quite some time ago. Um, and then it's just developed that page, particularly, is developed into like just providing a, a page to offload and laugh. Yes, laugh, um, but yeah, it's just a page to offload and laugh memes and learning opportunities. There, there's been other things I've been attached to it, like social work meetups and events, and that's something that I'm definitely, definitely going back into because it was so amazing exactly. to be able to commune with other people that were within your field and just kind of bounce off each other and not talk about work but not be talk about not talk about work and be stressed yes yes but it's more like oh yeah this is work and this is our time to have fun sort of thing so it was lovely to have those but then covid struck um Mm -hmm. and that kind of withered away um but hopefully time that would come back um in addition to social work bridges and kind of an, uh, an offset to that is the social work planner Social Work Planner itself has been about for a while in terms of the, the product. Um, it's been something that has enabled me to um, support social workers in planning their day. Mm-hmm. You know, so for example, if it's ASYEs or if it's students, it enables them to understand acronyms. And there's things in there that enable you to kind of know what to do when you get into your job. Yes. So it's like a Kickstarter mini book sort of thing, as well as a daily diary. Um, but then beyond the product itself, Beyond the product itself, um, there was uh, an urge, if, if, I be, if I'm being honest, to kind of share my knowledge. Because mm. sometimes I, I know I have a lot of knowledge in my head, but I give it to students that I am a PE to, but my platform, I never use it to share knowledge. And that's how the Social Work Planner page um, kind of developed I me, mean, to share my knowledge, to share my advice about placement, to share my advice about you know, the working environment, how to navigate through certain things. And to be honest with you, the, the traction and the the interest and the sheer gratefulness of someone being able yeah. to share information has been amazing. I've met some really amazing social workers, students who have just literally been appreciative of somebody sharing their knowledge on Absolutely. what they know. Absolutely. So, and also for me, I think, I mean, I enjoy both pages and um, especially Social Work Bridges. I followed Social Work Bridges for years before I even knew it was connected to you or even <laughs> I met you in any way. And I loved the lightheartedness of Social Work Bridges and then loved the kind of informative and helpful nature yeah. of Social Work Planner, which is just great. And also for me, it's I think as well why people will love it is about somebody shout talking loudly about social work i just feel like social yes. work is one of those professions that people don't speak too loudly about or are scared to absolutely especially when it comes to business a lot of social yes. workers they they are they are scared to show any sort of it's only most recently 
that social workers are coming out and starting businesses or platforms where they teach or you know training it's only a recent thing because it was a more as a taboo before like a conflict of interest yes whereas it's not a conflict of interest you're allowed to share your knowledge you're allowed to share your expertise and that is the foundation of what social work and business is you know there's different layers of it there's supported living that's social work that is yeah there is there is sharing your knowledge and you know packaging it in a way whereby you know you're offering value to people Mm -hmm. to be able to help them do their job that's another line of business there's several different ways people open up i don't know fostering agency that's another line of business that business that goes with social work so the taboo around social work and business i think is dying out Finally, agree. and people are becoming more comfortable to Definitely. speak up about what they do outside of their nine to five job. Definitely. In the I completely agree and I love it. And I'm definitely seeing it more and more now. And I don't know whether because I'm part of it is which is why I'm seeing yeah. it more now, but I'm just enjoying seeing it. And I think it's so interesting hearing again about your own journey and how your, you know, the development of your own social work businesses, because it's allowed you to be creative, but keep social work at the heart of it. Definitely. Which is just amazing. And I think that, I guess one of the other things that I find that are barriers for social workers going into business is around stability. I think when we think mm-hmm. about local authority social work, which is kind of what we're pre- prepared to go into. When you go into, um, unless you know, you've had experience, like you said, from family, when you go to university, I think more often than not, most people think they're going into some form of local authority social work. Mm-hmm. and we think about stability we know you know you're going to get your regular annual leave your sick yes, pay yes, that, that yes. monthly salary which is a blessing and you know especially in this current yeah. climate is something we need but also yeah. can act as a curse because it prevents us kind of going out and it does prevent stagnancy it does cause stagnancy at I times as well agree. if you wish to get branch out absolutely so i wondered how you made that transition it was somewhat easy for me because of my background yes my background but the only thing is that the only difference is the fact that at the time I was doing all of this I had I, I had my bills to pay my mortgages to pay yes. I, had, I had things to do so the stability part still did apply to me because I needed to still provide and uh, you know have a way of living day to day and the difference with certain type of social work businesses or other ways of making for income within social work is you get paid when the work is done. Yes. That's what makes a difference. So, for example, if somebody's an assessor, a parenting assessor, form assessor, or a PE, and you're working directly with the university, say, for example, or, you know, one thing I've noticed is that, not even noticed, the fact of it is you will not get paid until the work is complete. Mm-hmm. And that could take three, four, five months. Mm-hmm. And you have no stability with that. Obviously, with the nine to five, you know, at the end of the month, you're getting the paycheck. But I think for people that are already in work, it's about saving towards it, making a plan towards it so that you have something to fall back on whilst you're waiting for the other invoices to come through. Um, and being confident in that. I think organisation and planning is key. You cannot do it without that, especially if you've got bills or overheads. Yes. However, there are some social workers who are slightly younger and still live with their family. If you have an opportunity and you wish to do social work and you know intertwine business in it, then it's your opportunity to do it mm-hmm. because you don't have as much responsibility um, in, in a way, you know, or things that you have to, outgoings that you have to make sure you manage. Um, but the majority are in the situation that I was in at the time in 
having to pay for other things. And one thing I will say is it is possible, mm. but you have to know what type of social work business are you getting into? What's your aim? What are you trying to do? Say, for example, if you have a supported living, there would be finance coming in monthly, but it may not be at the beginning. You may be in a deficit at the beginning until you have placements. Yes. And until you have placements, then you have to be able to stand on your own two feet. It's the same thing. It's like a jump in the deep end. So planning, financial planning enables you to launch. Absolutely. Financial planning enables you to be stable and sustain what you're trying to build. Without financial planning, you just walk into it and you'll be, you'll be, be broke before you know it. And this, it's, just, it's just, it's a raw truth. It is. And you know what? I'm so glad you said that because I think it's so important to hear that. And I know obviously we, we've spoken about independence and that's one thing that you said to me that honestly has stuck with me so far where you, I guess, gave me that insight into the fact that you get paid after the work is done. So yeah. actually something that might sound quite basic, but I hadn't thought about. So actually that means going three, four months potentially without having an income. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And you have to also factor in if, say, for example, an assessment, if the if a, if a parenting assessment doesn't go ahead, the parent doesn't want to engage, that half of the money's gone. Yeah. If, if, if it's a student who ends up failing placement, for example, and, you know, you've been allocated as a P, an off-site PE, for example, the, 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 full, the full finances that came from that would be halved. Yeah. Or depending on how many days they did. They only did 10 days and you get paid for 10 days. Yeah, yeah. So you always have to have a reserve. You always have to have a plan Oh, definitely you know whatever eventuality there may be how are you going to survive i completely agree and you mentioned sustainability as well and i think you know there is an interesting and sometimes uncomfortable conversation when it comes to social workers and money because there mm-hmm. is this idea that you know social workers don't do the job for money and money, you know and yeah. i agree we don't do the job purely for money because there's yes. so much to manage but we're human we have families, we have responsibilities, and so money is definitely a factor. And I wondered whether you think independent social work is something that you can thrive on as a social worker financially. I know, I know. I think my last, actually, my last event that we, um, I did, um, what, was the, what was it called? It's called the Business of Social Work. Mm. And one of the speakers at that event, she's an independent social worker and only does independent social work and she survives on it and even at that time I wasn't as advanced as I am now but she yeah. shocked me and it made me realize it can be done with planning she yeah. she doesn't work a nine-to-five in a local authority she literally makes a living and lives off independent social work so it can be done like I said the only difficult part of independent social work is you don't know you cannot even if you're you're guaranteed your student finishes or your I don't know your assessment is completed by July there could be a financial hiccup and it takes another month for the finance to come out. And what you said is so key. Even when I had that event, there was so much backlash mm-hmm. um, in terms of social workers doing things for money and social workers are trying to make money out of the, out of the, out of the profession. And it's not about that. No, not at all. It's about you choosing what you want social work to be for you. Completely agree. People have children mm-hmm. and the nine to five may not work for them at that point. You have to find another way to survive. Mm-hmm. As long as the service you're providing is of quality yeah. and is providing outcomes that actually help the help people, help society, then there is nothing wrong in what you are doing. It should never be a hidden thing. And um, call it an unpopular opinion. Maybe that's the reason why I got, you know, 
um, a lot of unpopular opinions around it. Um, I stand firm on that belief. You don't do it to make money, but what you do do it to do is impact knowledge. You're offering a service. You're sharing knowledge. Knowledge. Listen, when you go to a lawyer, you pay the lawyer for their knowledge, no? Absolutely. So what is social work different? Any different, yes, yeah. So I, I just think, I think the, the view of social work has, maybe not so much now, but previously I felt it was very warped mm. and it was very, very caught up in this facade of, oh, we are doing good and we don't need to be paid for it. No, we need to live in surviving life. There's a, cost, there's a cost of living increase, there's a yes. crisis going on right now. All being if, you have that, if you have that mindset, then I'm not sure how you're going to survive. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, it's a very controversial view, but it's what I believe. And no, you don't do it for money, but if you can make money from it to survive, why not? Why not? Absolutely. And I think you're right, it's not a conversation we have a lot or at all really as, as social workers especially as social workers in the UK because I've seen some um, blogs and conversations from American social workers who are having this conversation but I definitely mm. think is one we have to be having more definitely 100% at the end of the day when you work in a local authorities in a local authority they have a list of providers what are those providers doing they're providing a service, service. and they are being paid for it so if it was such a bad thing, a local authority would not pay an independent social worker to do an assessment or they wouldn't pay a supported living accommodation to, to, to place a young person there or a child there. These are providers and they are on the list of what local authorities use to make their service run. Absolutely. As a social worker, you just pick which part of the box you want to fit into or which part of the web you belong to. You yeah. know, It's like a, like a, like a spider diagram, think of that. Social work is in the middle. There's so many aspects of it. Right. Which do you want to go into? Definitely. And that, that, that's, that's, that's my view. It might be unpopular, it might be controversial, but that's my view. No, I love it. I think it's really important to, to share to share views like that. And that you will not be alone in that view. I definitely think there are so many more people that have that view but haven't felt able to talk about it. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. But we know as well, though, that with everything business i'm sure especially within social work will have its benefits yeah. but have its challenges and i wondered what some of your the positives have been for you and some of the challenges have been for you the positives have been actually seeing the impact mm. you know there's one thing feeling like people think you you may do things for money and to be honest with you, i haven't had that um opinion forced upon me apart from when my team we did at that business event there was a lot of backlash from social workers around that and I couldn't understand why but now I've you know developed in my career I get why mm. because as we as we said it's a very controversial view business and social work seems to be a bit of a taboo um, but the the, the 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 positives that have come out of it is the people that I've met the outcomes that I'm seeing when people say oh my god I just bought the plan on it was it's amazing it's yes. really helping me get through my day or say for example or I just I just bought your, your reflective journal it's helped me get through my placement or the stuff, the things that you're um, posting on social media is really helping me in my job. It's enabling me to understand my role. That kind of feedback is priceless because it reminds you, you know what, I'm actually doing this for a reason and it's helping someone. Definitely. Despite people may, you know, um, label it as, you know, a, 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 bus a business or something that's negative, it's actually 
impacting people. It is, and adding value, absolutely. And adding value, and I think that's the thing that people need to figure out when you want to do a social work business is what value are you adding? Yes. Solving a problem, are you providing this? If you're providing a service, are you... What are you doing? Are you motivating social workers? Are you providing you teaching social workers? Are you providing knowledge or are you providing information that they can use in their job? You know, and that's that those are the different elements of business. Your why is everything. Absolutely. And in terms of the negative, what can I say the negatives are? Hmm. Well, when it comes to the social media side of business thing, <laughs> if you are in a nine to five job, it can be very hard to juggle. Yes. Even if you're not in my five job, if you're not a planner or you're not organised, it becomes overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It becomes almost a burden at times. But then I think when you kind of, it's important to take take steps away as well to mm-hmm. replan and like realign yourself so that you're continuously following a purpose because it can get overwhelming. It can feel like, oh my gosh, I'm waking up first thing in the morning. How am I gonna? Do I even want to post anything? I don't feel like it. And business is not about I don't feel like it. Mm. I think that's the difference with, you know, the nine to five social work and business. Business is not about what you feel. It's about you provide a service and you continue to provide that service for you to stay afloat. Whereas in jobs, in nine to fives, you have annual leave, you have sick leave, you know, you're able to just say, oh, I'm not feeling too good today. Can you, can you allow me to just yes. take the day off? There's, there's sympathy with business. There's no sympathy. You don't have that. Um, and that's the hard part. Um, it, there's a lot of personal growth that comes with people who do business and want to do it well. Personal yes. growth in the sense of separating your, your, your feelings from what you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, still knowing when to stop yeah. to prevent burnout. Yeah, Wow. I'm just thinking as, that as you said that um, in terms of those challenges, because you can't underestimate how hard it is to be able to self-motivate. The it's idea hard. that you're going to wake up in the morning and it's all on you. <laughs> it's all on you. And actually yeah, that in itself yeah, is, yeah. And is it's, a Especially challenge. if you're someone that's not working a nine to five as well. Yes. The pressure is even more. Absolutely. The, pre- the pressure is even more. It's, it, it's, it's like, look, if I don't keep up with this business, it, yeah, I have nothing. Yeah. My whole life and I have I have nothing and that's 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 the first level of motivation. The second level of motivation is you're dealing with people. Absolutely. When you're dealing with people, it becomes less about you. And that's where the difference in normal business and social work mm-hmm. um um kind of that's where the interchange is, but that's where they differ. Yes. It's a working with people. The lives of people are at stake, the lives of people are reliant on you, the lives of if you're providing a service that, you know, provides accommodation, you know, whether you're happy or not, that's nothing to do with the people that you're looking after. Yes. Or if it's, say, for example, you're you're providing, I don't know, a service on social media whereby you're sharing information and you promise to put out this this training by 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 Monday because you know that it's going to you've got another cohort of social workers that have followed you that they really need it. They're relying They're on, waiting you to on that information now. They're waiting yeah. on you. Yeah. So, so the burden doesn't fall on the local authority now, who's the cushion, it falls on you. So true. So, so there's a lot of self-development as well that comes hand in hand with business and social work as well. And it's definitely a process, but it's one that you never, I believe, you don't, you never become self-actualized in it. You know, like Maslow's hierarchy. Yes. 
self-actualization. I don't believe you ever get to that self-actualized stage when it comes to business. There's always ways, there's always new things that come out, new legislations, new ways to learn, and you have to keep abreast of it. You don't have the cushion of a local authority. Absolutely. And I think that's part of the... I guess that's one of the areas that I've found interesting and I've enjoyed, but also challenging because Mm. for many, unless you have a background similar to yourself, where family members have started business businesses, when you get into social work, you You don't think about that. You don't think about business. You don't have an idea about business. Weirdly, I've had this, I've had like, I've, I've, I've had these kind of conversations with some social workers who are just starting out or who are, um, recently qualified and they can't see it they just cannot see it but I understand the naivety I understand the pureness of just wanting to do social work and wanting to learn but then I think we have to realize that sometimes the business thought of social work comes out of okay I'm done with this social work life now it's overwhelming it's too much I need something new do you know I didn't think and of that which comes that... with experience which comes with time and development do you see what I'm saying yes it's, it's not something that you wake up and think I've just qualified I'm going to start a business don't get me wrong mm-hmm. I know one of the speakers at the event actually that I had did do that she did her degree and went straight into business okay and she is thriving now um but not everybody follows that trajectory. Some people just think, you know what, I just want to do social work. I just want to learn the trade. I just want to learn what we do and be good at that. But then after some time, you think, oh my gosh, social work is draining. I'm tired of social work. Or I'm tired of this type of social work. I want to do something for myself. Yes, and that's where that comes And that's where it develops from. That's so true. But even some, is there's so much learning that comes into it. Because even basics such as thinking about... Even earlier, you used certain language. You said, you know, knowing your why. You also mentioned about solving a problem, which is really business orientated mm-hmm. language. Language that you don't learn as a social worker. Yeah, you don't learn. Yeah, you so don't. You don't. I know for me, biz- Google has become my best friend, you know, and trying to understand all of these terms. But that in itself can be um, really challenging. So I wondered whether you feel social work kind of equipped you with knowledge and skills to start a business or whether you've had to no, learn I had a lot yourself. Social work. Social work. Social work was very late. In terms of business, social work was very late yes. in my business life. I, I, social work is not the only thing that I do. Beyond that, I have my talents. Um, one of them, which is, you know, I was always able to make clothes oh, and, and, and design. So through that, there was, you know, a fashion side of things. And through that, I was able to kind of learn my my way of business. Because there's, yes. there's social work, business, like I said, it's different. But there's other businesses in the world that can be IT businesses, that can be fashion businesses, clothing lines. And through having those businesses, um, you will gain some sort of knowledge about business and how to run them. And that is where my business knowledge came from, as well as my parents having their own, yes. um, their own business. So it's not just come from social work. And I don't think social work teaches you how to do business. As I said, it, it's always been a taboo. So I'd be shocked if... I'd be happy, actually, but shocked if one day part of the social work model is social work business yes it is i might, I might introduce Don't think about that exactly <laughs> yeah it's, it's i hope it i hope it ends up being a module one day because yes you don't do it for money but it's another avenue it's another it needs avenue. to be within the, within the mind map of what social work is and also within the current climate of lack of resources as well mm-hmm. actually having social workers thinking outside of the box about services the box, that they could service, offer yeah is you know generally is is just going to be amazing yeah. for everyone really 
So I wondered, Irene, what you would say to social workers who they're keen to explore the idea of a business within social work, but they're second guessing it or they're afraid to take that leap. Know your why. My advice would be know your why. Why are you doing it? What are you trying to get out of it? Your why is going to be the thing that sustains you. And even if you fall off, your why enables you to come back. Yes. Because, you know, your why is the reason why you are doing it. Your, your why reminds you of the people that is going to benefit. Your why reminds you of what you're going to get out of it in yourself as well. You know, there's so many aspects, but I feel like the why is important. The second thing is your how. Like your how is in the sense of how are you going to provide this business? Is it an online business? Is it a face-to-face business? Is it a supporting living? Is it a is it is it is it you know a, a fostering agency? Is it is it a service that enables social workers to provide social workers, to, for example, to do assessments? You know, there's different types of businesses. How are you going to do it? How, what is your driving mechanism? What is your 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 the mechanics around your business? I would say when is important. When do you want to start it? You know, you know. Are you are you thinking of doing it in your late in your career? Are you thinking of doing it now? You know, um, you know, is it is it something that you think is right for the current climate? Is it something that you think is lacking? Because the when is important. You said something that's so true. Um, in terms of, I think we spoke about it a while ago. In terms of when where social work is going. You know. Does your business fit into the in. mm-hmm. development of social work? Mm-hmm. If you're developing a business that is still is still founded on the HCPC, it's not going to work because the HCPC is gone now. Mm-hmm. Working in social work England, if you're in England, I know yes. there's obviously social workers that follow us that are from abroad, but it's an example. You know, it needs to be relevant, and the relevance relates to the when. When are you doing wow. it? Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't even go into the finance aspects of it, but those are the three I would say that you should know. You should know before you go into any business, your when, your how, and your why. And to add to the why as well, I think it's really, really important to to be clear on what problem are you solving? Why? And then, yeah, I'll leave that as that. Recording stopped. Zoe, Zoe, can you turn it down? Recording in progress. Okay, no, I think just hearing hearing about the why, the how, the when, that is so powerful. And I think definitely things that people need to think about when they're thinking about taking that leap. And I also think, I don't know what your thoughts are, Irene, about being patient with it and giving it time because sometimes, especially if you, you're quite creative, you can get ideas that marinate all the time. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. That is me. <laughs> that is me too. Honestly, I'm like, what about this? What about that? But sometimes yeah. it is about just taking time to really develop a particular idea and not just rushing ahead and going with it. Yeah. That's been one of my downfalls in business. And if you're somebody okay. like me, I am a, I'm a creative head. As in, if I could launch... 100 products or 100, I don't know, 100 tools in one day, I would do yeah. it because that's how I am. That's how I'm able to be so multifaceted, yes. even outside of work. It's just who I am. But I, 
one thing that's a downside to that is you need to be patient and watch one grow. Yes. Before you jump into another. And even if you just have one, you need to trust that process. Because say, for example, if it's something that is related to social media, you're not going to get a thousand followers in a day. It's consistency. You need to be consistent. Absolutely. And I'm a hypocrite. I'll just throw it out there now because sometimes life enables you to, life forces you to be inconsistent. Mm -hmm. But I guess that's where resilience comes in. That's where your drive comes in. Your why reminds you, no, I need to get back on this. I need to do it. So I completely agree with you. Patience is, is everything and allowing it to develop, allowing it to grow and not being hard on yourself when it's not going your way. Yes. Because that will come. It will definitely come, won't it? And I think speaking to others who have done it or are doing it, kind of networking, again, another buzzword, but I do think there's value in that, you know. Yeah. Sometimes I think this idea of kind of keeping the idea to yourself so no one, you know, you know takes what? it. It's- it's not the best it's, way. It's, 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 do you know what? I think we spoke about this um, recently. I just said, the thing about it is that as a, as a person, you know, social work aside, I'm very, very sceptical of people. Mm. Um, as a person, just through life and who I've become, everybody has their makeup. Absolutely. Um, and for me, doing this has exposed me to so many new people. Yes. Some with pure intentions, some not with pure intentions. And, with business, you're going to have to be resilient. You're going to meet yeah. people who are intimidated by you. Yeah. You're going to meet people who feel threatened by you. Yeah. You're going to meet people who love what you do and decide to copy. But one thing that we need to realise, not even just in social work, in business, in life in general, for example, corner shops, there are 100 corner shops in one area. It's not a competition. Mm-hmm. I think the quicker we come to realisation of the fact that it's, you go quicker when you do it together. So true. It, 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 it makes a huge difference because I feel like social work is about unity. It's about outcomes. And yeah, I just feel like when you're going into social work business, you have to be very wary of that in the sense that, you know, you may not get the support you want to get initially. And when you do get the support and you start to grow, you may have people that are not so happy about that growth. Mm. You may have people who genuinely support you. And it's, it's about being resilient to every kind of eventuality. So true. It's so true. And maybe not having expectations as well. No expectations, no disappointments. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which can be tough, but it's so true. God. So as you know, Irene, this podcast is called Social Work Leaders. And for me, even before this, but just this conversation reinforces to me that there's no doubt that you're a social work leader. I just think, you know, you've just paved a direction for yourself, especially at a time that well, maybe people were doing it, but not loudly. Nah, so not doing it loudly. Yeah. there we go. So honestly, yeah. the, that took a, that would have taken a lot of resilience to be able to start that journey with without support. You know, there would have been a lot going on. Then you've really created something that people can learn and grow from. And yes. I wondered, from your perspective, what does leadership in social work mean to you? Leadership in social work means being able to I would say being able to solve a problem being if you're solving a problem you're paving the way for something to happen for something to be given birth to and I feel like leaders are bold enough to do something different and solve a problem and that is something we need to see more of in social work because there is a lack of resources 
local authorities are struggling, businesses are struggling in general, providers are struggling. But I, I do believe the, the underlying issue around that is a lack of being confident enough to solve a problem mm. and be, be vocal about it. Be vocal about the problem that you are solving. I also think being a leader is being able to work in a team. Yeah. Being able to motivate your team and being able to... Because in, in businesses, it's very, very hard to be solo. Yes. Um, and social work, because obviously I may have started solo, but I had, I had a lovely team around me, um, especially at the time when we were doing events. You know, I had an amazing um, team of um, two ladies who are also quite senior in social work and doing extremely well. Um, and being able to have a team and work together as a team doesn't make you less of a leader. That's so true. Doesn't make you less of a leader, but it makes you... It makes your your leadership abilities more advanced or enhanced because you have more hands to work mm-hmm. with, mm-hmm. and you're able to propel this change that you're trying to bring. You're able to propel this 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 answer or this problem this problem solving aspect of your business or social work. If that makes sense. Yeah. So those are the two things that I would associate with being a leader: being able to work in a team and being able to solve a problem. Yeah. I completely agree. I love that idea of being able to solve a problem and what you said around being bold to be able to do to do something different. Because yeah, that yeah. is not easy and I think people really struggle sometimes. To be honest, that. you're absolutely right. And that's one of the things that I think came out of um in the beginning, as as you rightly said, when social work bridges first came out, the fear that came with it was immense. I can imagine. Because like I work for a local authority, I'm 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 screwed if anybody finds out it's it's me. And that was in my naive days. You know, I was very, very conscious of what I posted. I was very, very, um, you know, thinking, oh my God, is, is it bad to laugh at the, the, the job that we do in terms of, say, for example, your assessments or your case notes, you can't write them properly or you're tired. You know, will people judge you for posting that? But really and truly, it's our reality. It's our reality. What is wrong with mm-hmm. showcasing your reality mm-hmm. and having some humour to it? It's so the job important. is hard enough as it is. Definitely, it's so important. Honestly, and having that light-hearted aspect to, it. like you said, we all know how how hard the job is. We all know how serious things can yeah. be most of the time. So having that humor attached that you can just share with your colleagues or exactly, exactly, laugh exactly, along to by yourself when you're having a tough day is is so important. I completely exactly. agree. So, if people wanted to know more about your content, look at your content. Where can people find you? Um. The first place you can find me um, personally is um, on Social Work Planner, at The Social Work Planner. Um, and the second page, the meme page, and the one where you just laugh and relax and sort of thing, um, is Social Work Bridges. Um, yeah, those are the two. In relation to social work, those are the two where you'll find anything in relation to what I do or anything in relation to social work, humour or social work and education. Perfect. Thank you. So Irene, thank you so much for joining me on here today. It's been such a good conversation. I'd love to actually speak about it. Good. And I've loved it. For me in itself, it's been I've been taking down notes myself because I'm just lapping it up honestly because it's just been such an interesting conversation. So many gems, so much information that you've you've just shared here that I think so many people will benefit from. Some social workers who are already active in businesses, some social workers who are thinking about it. Or actually, even social workers that it hasn't necessarily crossed their mind. I think it's going to open up that conversation. I think as well, um, in terms of um, 
social workers having loads of social workers have ideas but they don't know how to monetize it yes yes absolutely it's one thing having a business idea and it's great for you to just continue to post but how are you monetizing it that is that is where your survival comes from yes but that's another story for another day i think there could be a whole podcast (laughs) on that aspect fully maybe we'd have to do that at some point because i definitely there's a whole other um podcast but thank you so much again pleasure thank you and i'm sure we'll catch up again soon most definitely thank you bye Thank you. Bye. Recording stopped. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That was amazing. That was so good, Irene. Is that your first podcast? Have you done podcasts? I've never been on whatever. That was amazing. You have so much to share, so much knowledge, so much. It just just was so natural, all that you were sharing. (laughs) Do you know what? I was literally thinking, am I just talking rubbish? Am I talking too much? Because all I was doing is talking what I know. I was just thinking, oh my gosh, should I have said that? Should I have not? No. I, I, at the same time, I, I just said, I don't care. Like, 